So this evening, uh, just reflecting on some of the different comments that were made about people's experience in working with generosity, what was happening for them in the day, there's two main things that come up. One is, is, is that generosity as a, a practice in itself isn't sufficient. And so, um, you know, we can bring it as a theme to contemplate, but there are many other factors that are needed in order to develop a path that is um, something that has sufficient depth to be able to do what's needed, which is to stay present with what's happening and see through the kind of confusion and distortions around it in order to um, have some kind of clarity or depth that comes through it. So generosity creates a foundation, but it's not a it's not a complete path in itself, you know, unless we we through using it pull in all the other factors. So the the question of persistence and the question of patience and the question of wisdom and the question of equanimity, all of those factors need to be brought in in order to be able to sustain attention with what's happening so that we can even just focus on wanting to do something which is wholesome and good. Yeah. So that's not a fault of generosity. It's just a feature that it's not a complete path. And so we need to bring forward these other components and, and help them support uh, developing the path. And yet it is helpful to, um, to, to n- notice that instinct of wanting to give and to follow it. And even if one's attention isn't able to sustain that through the end of the project, um, the act of giving is something worth uh, paying attention to and noting. That that's actually, one had that impulse and one acted on it. And so in that way, it can be a useful practice to, whenever there's an aspiration or intention or a feeling arises, I will do this, I will give this, I will give this away, I will help in this way, to follow it. Now, obviously, all of us need to have some discernment in there and to see whether we're doing that in a way where it's actually um, what we are able to manage or whether we are, again, feeding this um, needing to be needed. We're outside of our own capacity and we're acting on a kind of idea of something that will be fulfilling without actually having the resources to manage it. So, you know, every single thing has context to it, and this one as well, yeah. But that sense of, you know, if you have an idea, I'll give a gift to somebody, or I'll help a person with this, or I'll call them up, or I'll, you know, I'll make a gesture, or I'll bring a flower, or I'll bring an incense, or I'll I'll make a puja, or I'll polish the Buddha, you know. It's an act of generosity, and to, to, to find ways to see if, well, it's important that discernment come so that we're not actually doing something which is unhelpful or unskillful in the long run, but that we begin to trust that and to follow that and to let that be something which is part of our life. So, you know, one of the like, um, things that I've, I've done is when I have a, 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 an intention to give something to somebody, I follow through. And sometimes I think, oh, but I need it, or I want it, or I really like it, or, you know, something like that. And I think, well, yeah, actually the intention arose, and it's an honorable intention. Just follow through on it. There have been a few occasions where I've double-checked, and I've thought, well, no, because it's it's actually helpful for me to have it. It's not a needy thing. It's a different kind of thing. 
But most of the time, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's something which I've cultivated. And so things come and go. I mean, I'm, you know, stuff comes and stuff goes, and it comes and it goes and it comes and it goes, and that's just sort of the way my life is. And, and so I don't have that kind of sense of this is mine, you know, and I've got to have it, you know, kind of thing. And that's helpful because, you know, um, well, it's helpful for me. It's helpful to have that kind of light touch with the stuff of our lives. Anyway, so that's just something that helps. But the other topic that comes up, which is obviously quite a big topic, is what is our intention, you know? And beginning to discern what our intention actually is comprised of is not at all straightforward because it's often mixed. And it's rare that an intention will be 100% straight, okay? Or it might start out that way, but then it gets shifting because our needs change or our capacity to sustain it changes. And it isn't that it is wrong for it to change. But what's really important is is that we are able to be more uh, responsive to the fact that it is changing or that it has changed. And so sometimes the confusing thing about sorting up a complicated relationship around generosity is not just the generosity, but that over a period of time, one's own needs and one's own intentions will have shifted and it might not be that one would have been completely clear that that's actually what was happening along the way. So you start out with an intention and then it shifts and one isn't aware of it. And because it has shifted, then the responses that one is having are different. And that's confusing because one's still operating under the assumption that it was the original intention And then one tries to figure it out based on what the original intention was. And what one needs is a way of actually figuring out, well, the original intention was that, but then this and this and this and this happened. My needs are different, and my intention shifted. And so to be able to have some kind of a way of self-knowing what the internal process is so that one can be present with the shifts as they are happening, it means that there's less confusion to sort out in the end. Okay? And also, it is, it, is, it is completely within normal range to say, you know, when I started, my situation was like this, and I had this amount of resource and this amount of energy and this amount of time. And all of these things have happened, and now it's changed. And so I don't have the same energy, time, capacity to give in the way that I did in the beginning. And that's normal. It happens all the time. Yeah. So it's not as if... Um, But what one needs is to be congruent or honest with oneself first and then find a way of communicating it with the person or the people or the group that one's working with so that there's a sense of on board. You're on board with where you're at and where you're coming from and all the rest of that. Okay. Now, as we begin to enter into this murky territory of ego need and how to separate that from genuine, authentic uh, generosity, which is selfless, You know, I really appreciate His Holiness the Dalai Lama's kind of um, appraisal that there's two kinds of selfishness. There's wise selfishness and there's unwise selfishness. Because, you know, if you look at it, you know, on some levels everything is selfish. I mean, there's nothing that's not selfish. Yeah. But the wise kind of selfishness is the kind of selfishness where you feel really good about helping other people. Or you feel really good about doing practice, or you feel really good about doing retreat, or you feel really good about 
about letting go of something, okay? So there's a very good feeling that comes that is actually self-supporting, but it actually is because of doing something that other people benefit from or doing something that actually supports the meditation practice. So this kind of wide selfishness is actually something not to dismiss. It's actually something to cultivate, you know? And as we are able to have some discernment about the way the ego functions and then begin to see windows or gaps where it actually isn't functioning, okay, then we can see that the absence of ego functioning can support a, uh, a, a deeper understanding of what altruistic motivation actually is. But what we need to come to terms with and to accept and to feel comfortable with, that selfish motivation is an absolutely valid motivation a lot of the times. <laughs> enlightened self-interest is really important to cultivate because enlightened self-interest is not only for your own welfare, but it's for the welfare of everybody else. Okay? And so, because... What can happen in, in, a, in, a, in a religious aspiration or in a practice situation or in a monastic situation is, is that we tend to become absolute. It's either good or bad, you know, and there's no gray. And life just doesn't like that. It's not, it doesn't work that way, you know. We don't have absolute as a life experience. We have continuations of gradations of unwholesome, a little bit more wholesome, a little bit more wholesome, a little bit more wholesome. You know, And so it's really important when we pick up these kind of teachings not to go into absolutes, but to see that there's a spectrum and a continuum and to work with them on a level that actually is helpful for us and not spin us back into I'm a bad, hopeless, horribly selfish monster that can't ever practice, which is kind of like an underlying belief system that somehow gets kicked up when we start investigating the reality is, is that there's a whole spectrum of motivations that are involved. And some of them are less wholesome and some of them are more wholesome and they're all there, you know. So it's not helpful to ignore the less wholesome motivations in order that we feel good about ourselves. That's not helpful, okay. But what is helpful is, is to have enough basis of sense of self-respect and enough ground that as we become aware of the spectrum, it doesn't send us back into a tailspin, into that old patterns that are just crippling and not at all helpful. You know, so generosity is the act to give. And, you know, there's an interest to put others' needs before oneself. And that is a beautiful motivation. But the reality is is that we all have needs. And we also need to consider what our own needs are as we are equating or figuring out what we have to give to others. And if we don't do that, then we end up in quite a bad situation, you know, which can be either health problems or just tremendous frustration or resentment or losing faith or just kind of pulling back completely so you don't have any energy to give. So the only way that a person is going to be able to maintain generosity with any kind of authentic, long-lasting way is if they take care of themselves. And not just a little bit, but really well. 
And that's really true, particularly when you see, you know, situations like, you know, caring for other people, you know. If the carers don't take care of themselves, they can't sustain it. So self-need is part of being in the equation of figuring out how one actually can give to others. You know, are you healthy? Have you slept enough? Have you had enough food? Have you had enough time out? Have you had enough whatever, you know? And, you know, Pat and I were talking, you know, one of the things about being a nun is is, is that people sort of look at me as is that I'm perpetually available at all times under all circumstances, no matter what. I mean, it's sort of like, you know, that's sort of like the, the sign over my head that people read, you know. I am on tap. <laughs> and the reality is, is that there's times when I'm just absolutely not available. I just don't have any juice and I need to retreat and I can't cope and I just need time out and I need to nourish myself, you know. And so I'm constantly having to navigate my own needs in, in response to the needs of the people around me and, and what's happening around me. And there are times when it is really quite um, activating because people come in crisis, you know, or desperate, or somebody's dying, or, you know, it's not like, you know, I need a paper to be signed or I have to talk to you about a, you know, a, a question. It's really, it's really strong kind of activating things. And there's times when I do not have the capacity to respond. You know, and I have to accept that that I actually have limitations and I can't be available all the time and I have to take care in certain ways and sometimes you know I don't feel like I have the energy to respond and one of these situations arises and I respond anyway and a good thing can come out of it so it's, a, it's an intuitive learning of how one makes these decisions about when one says yes and when one says no I'm afraid I don't have the time right now. You know, I'm not available. And, you know, I don't know that I'm very good at it. I'm certainly better at it now than I have been because I'm clearer about both the the whole um, wisdom component that generosity is not the only factor as well as I've done quite a lot of investigation of all of the different motivations. And I've gotten much more familiar with my own need to be needed my own need to be approved of, my own need for acceptance, my own need for um, safety that comes through acceptance. And so all of these things were often masks of why I was actually being generous. And so as I've gotten more familiar with them and are able to manage them more directly, then they're not the thing that is coloring my decision-making process about whether I'm giving or not giving. So I can be more... Um, honest really and as I'm more honest I'm more able a little bit more able to take care of myself in ways that actually work for me now obviously I don't always get it right and I still crash and I still get tired and I still get sick sometimes but you know just because one gets sick doesn't necessarily mean one's practicing incorrectly (laughs) can be, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, a new age mumbo-jumbo that we somehow internalize. Um, And also, one of the things that I've noticed in my own practice is is that I go through cycles, 
And there are cycles of being much more actively engaged in giving. And there are cycles of being much more withdrawn and retreating. And over decades, I noticed that these are cycles that come and go. And, uh, and they need to be respected. Because if we do not respect them, we get ourselves into terrible trouble. You know, our whole body energy systems just crash. You know, so. Are there any questions?
for kindness for anything. It's simply what everyone expects and so what it's, it's what everyone does. It's just like this system that I just can't seem to buy into anymore. So one of the problems with insight is, is, is that um, it's painful. <laughs> <laughs> and the normal kind of absolute everyday assumptions that one lives with are questioned. Okay? So that's like comes with the package. When there's insight, everything ends up being questioned. Everything. You know, one's relationship with everything, one's relationship with one's body, with one's sexuality, with one's family, with one's culture, everything is questioned. And sometimes you end up in situations where your insight is leading you into understanding, which is actually discordant with the family system. And then it creates a tension, because how do you navigate your own understanding in a way which is authentic to where you're at, in a way which is not caving into the family needs, but also not abandoning them either. And that requires quite a lot of creativity. <laughs> okay. But you're right. We live in an extremely materialistic society, you know, where Christmas has been completely co-opted by the consumeristic value system as a kind of time for giving things. And the amount of love that is equated is by the amount of presents that are given. I mean, it's just, it's just really madness. Okay. But there are lots of creative ways of responding to that situation, you know, where you're not buying into the value system, but you're not abandoning the family either. And that takes just figuring out, well, what would be looking at this outside of the box? You know, how can I acknowledge a person in a way where they really feel somehow touched, but I'm not actually playing into the game? Now, as nuns, you know, the whole thing about gifts, you know, I don't have money, I don't go to the store, and I don't buy things. So what I have is the stuff that people give me, all right? And, you know, it has always been something that I found really touching, that on birthdays, birthdays in the monastery, the sisters, we get a tray, and it's filled up with, you know, it's like the devas descend and create stuff out of absolutely nothing. I mean, a stone, a shell, a picture, a card, a, a something that's been decorated, something that's been made. Um, a treasure that somebody has that they're passing on. You know, so it's a culture has emerged with the sisters about how to attend to each other in a way which is very loving, you know. But obviously we don't go to the store and buy things, you know. But it's very, very loving because each thing, you know, even if it's a stone, you know, it's wrapped, okay? Or there's a note, and the note is a personal note, you know. So, for us, it has no money. There's no monetary thing in, you know. But it is, it is, it's amazing, you know. So, I was living in a little hut in the forest, and somebody comes, wakes up extra early so that they can put the tray outside of my door before I wake up. So, they get up at four to put the tray outside my door so I don't hear them by the time I wake up at five. And there's this tray of treasures, of who knows what, that are just absolutely beautifully wrapped with ribbons and paper and cards with, with kind things. And it's really very touching, you know. And so it's just a lovely thing to do. And, and what I would do, like, it was my niece's birthday and I didn't have, I didn't think I had treasures for her, but I went home and I found some. So I went out for a walk and I thought, I'm going for a walk to find treasures for Sandy for her birthday. You know, so this is this is her treasure walk, 
And I found a pine cone or a feather and a stone. And I put them together in a way that was just like a lovely presentation, you know. And she was very touched. So there are many, many different ways of responding to this without actually saying, well, I don't care about you enough even to think about what I can do, you know. But it does require some creativity. But it doesn't necessarily help to have a conversation with the family of saying you don't want to do it this way because they might not be able to understand what you're saying. And so what's needed is just to translate your insight into action which makes sense for you and that they can actually relate to. Yeah. Now, with mothers who are asking you to drop everything to take them to a doctor's appointment, that's a slightly different kettle of fish um, because it requires actually having some sense that you, you also have a life even though it doesn't seem to be the case. <laughs> and that you would like to help but in ways that actually work for you as well and so maybe what you need to do is negotiate. If you're going to help her with a doctor, you need three days notice or a week's notice or some kind of boundary that honors your needs as well. So that's a boundary issue that's not being honored. And with family, it's notorious that family crashes through each other's boundaries. You know? And it's really hard with family, with people that we're really close to, to have appropriate boundaries that are actually congruent with our own value system and where we're actually meeting our responsibilities in a way which is realistic and authentic. You know, that's one of the things about people that are really close. You know, I was, I was just thinking just a few days ago or today, you know, there is nothing like sisters, you know, in order to get under your skin, you know. My goodness, can we wind each other up. But there's also nothing like sisters who are able to know how to support each other and take care of each other and know, like, just the kind of thing that is needed in order to be there for each other. You know, and the same is true in a family system, you know. So, it's 8.27, shall we stop here? Yeah. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.